Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Bienvenidos al podcast del Nuevo Químico. Carlos Irza, testo podcast to New Chemist. Welcome by the podcast van the New Chemist. Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste. Bem-vindo ao podcast do Novo Químico. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard. Be value-driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Travaillez dur. Soyez axé sur la valeur. Tu peux le faire. Vous pouvez grandir et l'apprendre. Vous pouvez être la différence dont vous et votre communauté avez besoin. N'abandonnez pas. Nous sommes ici pour vous encourager et vous encourager. N'abandonnez pas. Trabalhar duro. Seja orientado por valores. Você consegue. Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista. Duepsesclirá. Na ovigita estinaxia. Boris natocanis. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατάς. Είμαστε εδώ για να σας ζητοκραυγάσουμε. Μην τα παρατάς. Τραβάχα δούρο. Σέα impulsado por el valor. Puedes hacerlo. Puedes crecer y aprenderlo. Usted puede ser la diferencia que usted y su comunidad necesitan. No te rindas, estamos aquí animándote y animándote. No te rindas. Berkhart. Wees waardig gedreven. Je kunt het. Je kunt groeien en leren. U kunt het verschil zijn dat u en uw gemeenschap nodig hebben. Geef niet op. We zijn hier om voor je te roten en te juichen. Geef niet op.
Work hard. Be value driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is the new chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. hard to find creative ways to keep the kids busy and screen free while stretching their brains, especially these days. Mel Science does all the legwork for you so you can spend more quality time tackling projects together and they won't even know they're learning. With Mel Science, there's something for every kid. We've just received some awesome Mel chemistry sets but also There is Mel Kids, Mel Physics, Mel Med, and Mel STEM sets, and they are all for different age groups. We can't wait to get started with the kit we have received. Get 60% off your first box of any of the subscriptions by using the promo code CHEMIS for the first month for any of Mel Science's subscriptions but it will only be active for one month. You can find the link in the episode description. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. We're glad you listen. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms, including Odyssey. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Chadwin Hanna. Thanks for joining me today. It is so good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Chadwin is a good colleague of mine. We went to high school together. He was the former head boy before... I was the head boy in 2014. He was the head boy in 2013. Uh, Chadwin is a graduate of Kering University where he majored in mechanical engineering with a specialty in bioengineering applications. He also has a minor in biochemistry. He comes from a diverse cultural background, having received his secondary education in Freeport, the Bahamas, at the great Bishop Michael Eldon School, and pursued his post-secondary studies in the USA. He is determined to use his knowledge of engineering on the human body to leave a lasting impact on the world of medicine and important, most importantly, the lives of people for whom this industry exists. Like I said earlier, Chadman is a good colleague and a good friend of mine. It is a pleasure and an honor to have such a bright young man on this podcast today. Thanks, Mel. 
Thank you so much, Chadwin, for joining me today. It's so good to have you on as a guest. Well, me and Chadwin go way back to high school, uh, all the way back to high school. And he was a former head boy before me, and I was head boy after him. So that's, and we also knew each other from just being in science together. So, Chadwin, as we begin, what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science? So, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, great that we could connect like this. But science, like you said, from high school, we were kind of always interested in science together, you know, from from as early as I can remember, I think I had a desire to be a physician. Um, and that goes, and that just like led into this interest that I had in science, whether it was biology, chemistry, it's like, I want to be a doctor. Medicine is very cool to me. So I just gravitated to all the fields of science. Um, eventually that led to me going to do my bachelor's and become a mechanical engineer. And that led me down a whole other path into the medical device industry and really understanding how things work, being an innovator. And now I, I find myself right back in medical school, right? What I wanted to do from, like I said, as far as I can remember. So it's always been science, man. It's very good. That's very good. So my question to you is, I want, we want to, I want to hit on like immediately. How do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general? So when you face challenges and obstacles, which I'm sure you have, how do you maintain view of the bigger picture and keep your goal in focus? I think a big thing for me is knowing what my goal is, right? And if you don't have a clear picture of your goal before you set out on your journey, then it's even not much harder to keep it in sight. You don't know what you're looking at. Okay. Um, for me, before I went to undergrad, I knew like, hey, I want to be a neurosurgeon. Um, and I knew, I didn't necessarily know the path that I would take to get there, but I knew like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, that path took me, like I said, through uh, Kettering University. I studied mechanical engineering, did a minor in biochemistry. When I graduated from uh, Kettering, I ended up in Miami working for Johnson & Johnson as an R&D engineer, mm -hmm. making neurovascular devices for stroke treatment, okay. which was like, which was an offset of what I eventually want to do as a physician. But um, I was able to look at it from a completely different perspective as an engineer. Okay. So I think with the, with the bigger goal in mind that, hey, I want to be a neurosurgeon, right? Like it, I'm, I was taking a step back and making the devices that neurosurgeons use so that later on in my career like this will make me an even better neurosurgeon because I know how to make the tools and I know how to use them yeah so I think it's just keeping keeping the vision in mind and not necessarily getting caught up in the past right I know a lot of uh, undergrads going into medical school they get kind of stressed um, when it comes to gap years and understanding like hey like I need to get to medical school ASAP I don't want a gap year or I just want one gap year I took four gap years. That wasn't like, like plan. That wasn't in the plan, right? But I got into something. I loved what I was doing and I was learning and I was in a, an environment where I could really like grow and flourish. And it was something that I thought I needed to do before going to med school. And I, I love it. I think it made me a better person, but always have the bigger goal in mind. Like I said, 
keep it on your head and everything that you do should be in progress of that goal everything yeah i completely agree precision precision yeah as you hit around the target you come closer and closer to the ultimate right. precision um so how have you been adaptive and creative in the fields of science in what way you served as an r&d engineer are you currently still serving as an r&d engineer yeah so i'm currently still uh spending a few hours working with my r&d colleagues at j&j okay which good it's been a blessing right it's also it's it's a time box i'm in medical school i'm in a md phd program mm-hmm. um and i'm still doing some work in the field i mean it's great for me because i get to use two different sides of my brain studying all this medicine like really science side but i'm also still doing some engineering which is great um but i think to answer your question it's i just kind of take it day by day you know um like every day looks a little different okay and you just kind of got to be for me i i take it day by day so as to not stress myself out with the with the like enormity of the task okay that there are to face right knowing like i said keeping the big goal and picture is great keep it in mind keep it in focus but at the same time it's hard to look at that all the time mm-hmm. it's hard to look at this huge grandiose thing is sometimes you just got to take it apart and look at it section by section that's what i try to do day by day um yeah yeah keep i can really agree with you so because i've heard i've heard several things um you have to be pragmatic there's a quote that says if you want to eat an elephant eat it one bite at a time and also when right. it comes to anatomy i unless you're doing gross anatomy most times you look at an army like one system at a time one part of the body at a time so you can really understand what's going on so yeah i completely agree with you so how yeah. do you seek or find the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually what led you to johnson and johnson how did you get there and also what led you to the uf how did you get there as a md phd candidate cool i think a big thing for me i'll tell a story in a minute but i think the biggest thing is the people man in good. order to, to learn i think two things have to be true one you have to be in a mental space and understand that you want to learn so you have to have the desire to learn and two you have to be in an environment that fosters your learning right if both of those things aren't there then learning isn't going to happen it isn't something that just happens you can't just sit in the classroom and learn if you don't want to be there mm-hmm. you're not going to learn you also can't just sit in the classroom even if you want to learn and the environment is great you're not going to learn and you so, have the capability as well capability right yeah. right you got to have the capability so for me one of the big things i look at is the environment like is this a space where i can grow where i can learn and where the people are going to help me to foster uh my growth and my learning so for me coming while i was in school i was co-oping for a company called Ethicon and no surgery which was also uh part of Johnson & Johnson at the time yeah. that's when i first got into the medical device industry i was making laparoscopic devices i was like doing r&d engineering work research and design as a sophomore in college okay good it was great right so right there i was working with a group of people that really trusted my ability um trusted the things that I was doing and allowed me and gave me the space to grow, learn, make mistakes, right? 
but also make my thoughts and my uh, opinions be heard, which I think is very important. Amazing. Yeah. It's extremely important. It's to like be heard and one seen. to be heard and seen, right? Um, so I stayed at Ethicon for a while. I actually did four different rotations there because, like I said, the environment was amazing, and I just love working for J and J as a company. The the credo of the company, what it stands for, and I understood like, hey, I'm doing engineering because I want to help people, and I'm doing it in the medical device field. Okay. Um, and this is gonna benefit my career later. So after I graduated, I wanted to stay with J and J. Unfortunately, I didn't um, have an opportunity to go back to Ethicon. So I was looking, which was which ended up being great for me in the long term. I found this company in Miami called Serenovis, and they sure. designed neurovascular devices. It was a J and J company. I applied and I got like an interview in like a week. They told me to fly down there. I flew down there. And the environment was like, it was electric. I walk in the lab, there's engineers working. Um, they have doctors visiting very often. People are bouncing information back and forth. People are asking me what I think about things that are going on and I'm just there for an interview. So I'm like, this is an environment that would be great for me. Um, that's kind of why I ended up there. Sounds good. Because like I said, it's all the people, the environment. Um, people able to foster your growth and your learning yeah and that's also why I ended up at UF UF when I was looking at MDPHC programs I really wanted something that's collaborative um, where physicians are working with researchers where like people are on the cutting edge of science there's a lot of clinical studies going on mm -hmm. people are actually actively trying to make a difference in the field and um, UF was, was the fit for me Good, good. Having a strong sense of agency and also having the capacity to jump from one S-curve to the next. So as you learn and plateau, you you learn, gain the skills, plateau, become comfortable in the environment and you jump to another one where you're jumping yeah. S-curve to S-curve. That's good. It's very good. Yeah. So what have been your most effective and impactful ideas to date? What have you complimented to in terms of, uh, so let me make this more practical. So you worked at J&J. &J. Yeah, you worked at J&J. How did you add your flair to the environment? What compliments you adding your flair? That's a good question. Um, I'm always me. Uh, and I think that's great. I, I found that for me as an engineer, I'm an innovator. And I love to, I love to be efficient. Um, How did you do that? I had just kind of like what I said about the gold having a big goal and breaking it into chunks. Granularities. Like, yep. If I see if I see a task, I have to break it into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. I have to. Um, I had a mentor at Ethicon that called me an optimizer. Because anytime sure. you give me a problem, I'll be like, there has to be an easier way to do this. Like <laughs> there has to be an easier way to do it. And that's how I face problems daily. If something is going on, I'm like, wait, there has to be an easier way to do this. Yeah. There has to be a more efficient way to do it. If it's That's a process. It builds the climbing. Right. If there's a if there's a process to say in manufacturing, I'm like, wait, only one person can do this? How can we optimize it so that multiple people can do it? How can we get it done quicker? And you ask, how do I add my flair in that environment? Mm -hmm. I think that one of the most important things, especially in regards to innovation, whether it's science or industry, is just having diversity of thought and diversity of everything. 
Yeah. Diversity is so important. Me, of course, I was the only, um, at the time, I was the only black R&D engineer working in that office in Miami, which is great. And I was like the youngest person working there as well as an R&D engineer. Of course, I was the only person from the Bahamas. So all these different factors of diversity just influenced the way that I was thinking completely differently from everyone else, right? Um, I think that is so important. So if I'm forming a team, I'm always thinking about, like, where can I grab diversity from? Who's thinking differently than I am? Right? I don't want a bunch of Chadwins on, on my team, even though I think I'm great. I don't want a bunch of, I don't want a Nothing bunch of wrong with that, bro. I feel the same way. I want, <laughs> I want, I want like as many different people as, as possible. So, um, and I work with people who really care about what I have to say. Yeah. And good. I think that that's like a part of respect. Um, and also trust, mm-hmm. trust in that. Like, I know what I'm talking about when I say something. Yeah. It's hard to find that. You could work forever and like don't find a group of people that trust you. Yeah, that's true. And so several things come up. One, you have to build your voice. And you build your voice through having a good grasp of your field and having good acumen and good knowledge and good skills that are relevant to the area of expertise or the area that you're working in. So that's one thing that comes up. Trust. I've heard people say the speed, the success of an organization goes or is one of the factors that complements the success is trust. And the speed of trust in the environment influences the path and trajectory of the organization. That's that too. And then three, um, what you said brought up, a, you brought up a key point, being yourself, you know? Um, we could all try to be someone else, but at the end of the day, the best person we can be, and I think this is an established fact, is yourself. There's something unique in your personhood that complements you being able to do that well. So that's good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, so how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments? Are you balanced, Chadwin? I try to be, man. Yeah, that's good. That's um, good. So how do you manage it? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your workload? That's a practical way to do this. To answer this question. So for me, currently, like being in an MDPHC program, when I started, I mean, obviously, I was living in Miami. I had a lot of free time um, working in the industry. As soon as I got off of work, I think I was off work and I really took time to have like mental space to myself. So being out of school for four years, coming back into what I know is a really intense program, I'm like, I'm not sacrificing my own mental health. I'm not, I'm just not. Like I understand that medical school is hard. And some people would say like, oh, like I'm being arrogant or I'm being cocky because I'm like, I'm not sacrificing my mental health, but I'm just not. So, because a lot of people do, because a lot of people feel like that's the only way that you can make it in medical school. You have to be up and study for 12 hours every day or 14 hours. If you're not studying on the weekends, then what are you doing? Um, But I think that everyone has to find their niche and understand what they need to do in order to succeed. Um, And for me, what I've found like in this environment is that people compare themselves to others. Like I need to be studying this much or I need to be studying in this way and don't really take the time to find what works for them. So a big thing for me is like, like I said, I haven't, I wasn't in school for like four years. So coming into it, I really tried to figure out like what's going to work for me. Am I going to go to class? So I started to go to class every day 
mm-hmm. like is this gonna work for me mm-hmm. and then some days i would sit home and watch lectures from the computer and i'm like this doesn't work for me i need to be in class mm-hmm. every day this yeah. is active learning that i'm doing yeah. i have an exam every two weeks i'm like how am i going to study for this am i going to study every night no that's kind of stressful for me let me develop a schedule develop a plan and like i know when i'm going to go through this material that's been really helpful for me um it's good dude like i said i've been planning i have time for myself in my plan which i think is extremely important if you don't make the time for your own mental health and it won't exist wow good point yeah. so dude i completely agree with you you know mental health is so important one two um no you 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 made the joke of if you're not sacrificing your mental health and you said some people might say it's arrogant or cocky dude you know at the end of the day people will say what they have to say you you have to live with you so yeah. i don't pay it no mind um but people yeah. people's opinions have merit but it doesn't float or sink your boat eh so no. so the reality is this is the thing that i think or what you said is, is so important um you said people compare themselves a lot in that environment um my thing is this is the thing the question i raise for instances like that if merit if merit if academic merit is comparative in the absolute sense what happens when the com- things you are comparing are gone does the merit still exist you have to have some type of no. yeah you still have, you have, to have no. yeah you have to have some individual merit in that you you are trying to be a better you that's another way to put that You're trying to be a better person just better version of you every single day so that's good yeah How have you maintained you got to show up as you every day man yeah, yeah. I agree with you um my thing is if you, if the only time you could have marriage when you compare what's the point um how have you maintained vision and teamwork in your environment like i said earlier um i think especially in engineering it's like teamwork is like you can't do anything by yourself i learned that a long time ago um it's the same and i i can't name one thing where you can actually do something alone you can't medicine is like that science is like that um and i already explained about having diverse minds and people from different backgrounds on your team um what i think it really is is understanding how to work well as a team right so you can bring all these different people together but if you don't have a structure of like how do we flow together what are the responsibilities of each person um how do these people work together and be as efficient as possible to deal with the task at hand then that's the problem so really when it's like teamwork is the lifestyle like nothing exists but teamwork i think i spent a lot of time in my team really trying to be as efficient as possible using each person's skills expertise um to like really promote and and like bring the task at hand to fruition you know yeah i don't really agree i try to i try to show up as like the best person that i can within that team as well right cuz yeah. i'm there for a reason so like what do you need me to do how how can i use my expertise to make this happen yeah i completely agree with you too it's very important so do you have any advice to those wanting to pursue the field you're currently working in What's your advice to people listening? My advice is just especially for those applying to mm-hmm. MDPhD program, MD it's really difficult to get it. Yeah. An MD program, it's just it's hard. 
mm-hmm. getting harder to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's hard. I'm talking to professors and they're like, it's just hard. It's, it's hard. I've talked to professors and they're like, I don't know if I would get into medical school today. Like, kudos to you guys. Um, and I think in generations coming, it's just going to be hard, harder and harder. So for me, this is actually, I applied to MD-PhD program twice. Um, I didn't get accepted in the last cycle. I got accepted in this cycle. And the fact that I reapplied shows the one thing that I would give people advice to is like, keep, like know what you want to do and keep on doing it. Um, you can't let failures stop you from like achieving your goals. You can't. You have to be persistent. Nah, bro. You have to have. You have to have some level of grit because it is be hard. You have to be stubborn. You have to be stubborn because people are gonna try to stop you. Mm-hmm. Like, you will have, you will have obstacles. That's people will drop walls in front of you to stop you. Yeah, I completely agree with you. But see, the thing, the thing with that, you know, I acknowledge that. When this is how I approach things like that, you know, you could throw the obstacles in, in my path. At the end of the day, you're not sovereign. My faith perspective mm-hmm. kicks in for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just an obstacle. It's just a hill to climb. So, right. what, have, what have been some of your most, what has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received? What What's some good advice you've gotten from your parents or teachers, professors? What's helped you get through hard times? What goes through your mind when you someone? drops a wall in your path like my dad would always tell me like to not ever let anyone stop you from achieving your goal and that like reverberates in my head daily like I will never let anyone tell me that I cannot do something oh yeah right I mean of course work within the guise of like what's capable like like Mm. is this realistic can you set realistic goals for yourself yes and if I think it's realistic versus if you think it's realistic, then we have a we have a clash, right? And I'm never gonna let you prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. Unless unless it is something that that's not realistic. And that in that regard you have to know when to humble yourself as well. It is important. Right? Yeah, it's very important. You have to know when like am I overreaching? And you have to give space for someone to actually come in and tell you, hey, like maybe you are doing a little bit too much. Let me explain why, right? Which is, which takes a lot. Which takes a lot. Because I just said I won't let anyone ever come in my way of doing something that I want to do. But at the same time, there's a balance. And I don't know everything. I, yeah, I neither just do don't. I. Neither do I. And that's okay. I just don't. Just keep learning. It's a yeah. growth. It's a I, beneficial, uh, sorry, I forgot you off. But the beneficial um, mindset, I think, is a growth mindset. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. Especially in these spaces. So, um, mm-hmm. you, as you were saying, you said it's a balance, right? Yeah, it's a balance. What I was going to say is, like, you might have a wall in front of you, and you might want to climb that wall, or you might want to go through that wall, but someone knows what's on the other side of the wall, and they're like, wait, maybe you want to plan a little bit before you just go ahead and jump. Like, you, you got to be able to listen to that person. Yeah, you have to be teachable. I completely agree. You have to be teachable. You have to give space for the right influences to have influence in your life yeah yeah that's yeah. good so yeah. yeah man Chabin thank you so much for joining me today it was so good to have you on as a guest thanks for listening we're glad you were able to tune into this podcast 
Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. Thanks, Janae, for joining me today. It's still good to have you on, Janae. It's a good, good, good time to have Janae on as a guest on this podcast. So welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a variety of other platforms. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is a science of change, as well as careers, community research, and COVID-19. We're so happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Janae Burroughs, an MBBS candidate at the University of the West Indies. Thanks for joining me today. It is so good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. So me and Janae go way back, like way, way back, like all the way back to high school. I mean, that's a long time ago. That's like seven years ago or eight years ago now. Eight. Eight. Yeah. So I mean, Janae is currently studying medicine. She's done a BA at Liberty University and she's a really intelligent young lady and it's really good to have her on she's a leader in her own age stage and right so it's definitely a pleasure and an honor to have Janae on this podcast so Janae what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science well David first thank you for um, letting me be here it's a pleasure um, I would say say that my long-standing interests, um, one being in the fact that I am studying medicine and I am one year out from my MBBS degree and I'll finally be a doctor fully. Um, my long-standing interest is just to advocate for patients and to give them the tools that they need to create healthier lifestyle and healthier livings to decrease hospitalizations and um, so that they can live a good life. Um, more importantly, though, in the field of medicine, I think that my long-standing interests also have to do with um, mentoring and mentorship with pre-medical students as well as medical students, because I truly believe in diversity in medicine. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the statistics, there are only about 5% of um, Black physicians in the world. And that number itself is astounding. And I feel like there are a lot of unrepresented minorities in medicine. Mm-hmm. And I, my, uh, what drives me is being able to mentor those behind because I know that for me, I didn't really get the mentorship that I think that I needed mm-hmm. um, during through my journey. So okay, those those are my interests. Okay, that's interesting. As you said, so mentoring and also diversity so that's good that's good and decreasing hospitalizations so i'll just offer that same question my my what i'll ask you is how were you able to overcome the barrier in which you weren't uh you didn't have access to a lot of mentoring how did you overcome that how did you get through that well um a lot of that had to do with confidence in myself and okay. just 
um, overcoming the barriers that people placed on me. And I will never forget, there, there have been speed bumps along the road. Like for instance, when I was in um, college at, at Liberty University, I was two, two person. So during the you know third year, fourth year, you're deciding what you wanna do, you're applying to schools, uh, if you wanna do like a postgraduate education. And I had asked my advisor, what he thought about me applying to medical school, I wanted some guidance on to how, how to go about it. And basically he told me um, that he didn't think I should apply for medicine. Wow. Um, I think he had told me, he gave me a different suggestion of what he thought I should do. And I also remember my organic chemistry teacher. Now organic chemistry was, you know, it was tough. And mm. the teacher, the professor that I had, he was also very tough, but I asked him for a letter of recommendation because I did think that I displayed, you know, good skills, right? Yeah. And he basically told me, he said, I think you should, um, I, I wouldn't write you a letter of recommendation to go to medical school, but I think maybe you should do nursing or something. Wow. And, and look at you now, almost finished with your MBBS, take that. Yes. And at every level, I think that there are persons who are going to dis try to discourage you and dissuade you from doing what you want to do. Mm. But for me, I realized that I had to take control of my future and what I wanted to do yeah. and carve out those paths for myself, mm -hmm. even if others weren't willing to help me do that. So yeah. those are some of the ways that I've overcome that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting you bring that up. And we'll discuss more about that in the podcast. But, you know, I, I've listened, I just a quick note on that. Um, you know, I've listened to somebody just mentioned, mentioned in their discussions or in their speeches um, how they were trying to apply to some Ivy League school and someone looked at them and told them they were not cut out for that. And come to find out they attended two different Ivy League institutions, Princeton and Harvard. And they've done really well. So, yeah, you can't let people uh, chart your course. You chart your own course. Yes. So and I find that um, just like another note is that sometimes those persons who tell you no and who don't, who try to shut the door in your face, that just gives you the fuel that you need to continue going. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to reappropriate that. Yeah, reappropriate that and use that fuel. Some people coin that off. Uh, describe it as the I'll show you response in the yeah you said yes. I can't do it so I'm gonna show you <laughs> that you're not right. you're not the last word on my destiny so how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general how do you keep perspective Janae especially speak about the time in which you were like dealing with COVID and all this other good stuff or bad stuff however you want to phrase that so honestly it's it's difficult sometimes to perspective i will say that and during my time studying like you said covid but even before covid in my after my first year of medical school i was back home in the bahamas and um i stayed i was supposed to leave actually i was scheduled to leave but i stayed behind for like a family wedding and something and that's when dorian hit and oh. i was stuck in the storm and I think the fair surrounding that in and of itself was just out of the norm because that was my first major hurricane in um, at home. And, you know, the hurricane stood still for like three, two days. Yeah, 72 and, hours. Yeah. And after the hurricane, it was just devastating destruction. 
Um, I was happy at the time to be home with my family because I thought about what would I, what would I have done if I was um, in school at that time. But I was just thinking like, you know, I'm supposed to go back and leave my family in a time of crisis. And I actually had to, so I did, I, you know, I helped out. I tried to do some volunteering before I left, but I had to take a, um, basically a refugee flight out to Nassau. Wow. And then I had to go back, go back, back to school. And I think that year itself was a lot of tragedy. I lost one of my cousins as well in a tragic accident. And along the way, I think, it, it made me realize that medicine kind of takes some things from you, mm -hmm. um, the journey itself, because you're away from family. There are big life-changing events that are happening when you're studying for this thing that you're supposed to be dedicating your life to, but you're missing moments. And so I had to look at it in a different perspective in that mm -hmm. this will pass mm -hmm. and that this is just a stop that I need to for the rest of my life mm -hmm. so it's difficult keeping perspective because when you're in the midst of it even in COVID when you're in the midst of COVID it's like you know this is something terrible but for me COVID allowed me to come back home and be with my family for a little while and I hadn't been able to do that for so long mm -hmm. so it's keeping the perspective in that yes bad things do happen or things are occurring and it may not be something that you enjoy or that you like but realizing that everything is working for your good that's how I have to look at it that everything is aligning itself for the better for a, a bigger purpose yeah I completely agree with you on that and you know yeah, it's interesting you bring that up you you yeah because you know no matter for academic uh for academic paths whether it be postgraduate or even undergraduate many times you are missing things as you prepare or as you go through those journeys yeah, yeah you you're missing things but mm -hmm. this is and that's and you just have to acknowledge that but i think that's a part of the sacrifice that you make because of the reward you want on the latter end of the journey so yeah. just for example you can think about the grocery store it's a sacrifice that you have to make when you go to the grocery store. You could be doing something else, but you know you need groceries to cook and to eat. So, yeah. yeah. So how have you been adaptive and creative in the fields of science? Where would you say you have been creative? Where has, yeah, where has Janae's creativity come about? So, <clears throat> um, I'm always trying to think of things that I can do differently or... Um, change or make things better in terms of creative one thing that i it has been my little creative outlet is i started a blog um back in 2019 so this would have been after the i think right after the hurricane i had started a blog i always wanted to do it because like i said i'm interested in mentorship and um inspiring the the, the younger generation paying it mm -hmm. forward and so i had started a blog where i um document my journey through medicine okay. and okay. that is Check like, your that's a way that's a way that i um basically have a little creative outlet but i still get the opportunity to share my passions of um medicine food whatever it is um it's the checkuplog.com and that's something that i am neglecting actually um just because of the 
the stress of school and everything else. But um, that's one way that I've been creative. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's good to have a blog. You know, I've seen a lot of people on YouTube who do the exact same thing. So people could follow along with you as you're going through it. I make yeah. it more enjoyable. I think not just for the person itself, themselves, but also for the people who are watching you and cheering you on. So yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you seek or find the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually? How did you seek it or how have you complemented to the environment being a place where you can thrive? So, um... That's such an interesting question. So in some instances, it wasn't really a choice in terms of seeking, in terms of seeking out, like for instance, school, I know for college, I didn't really choose where I went to college, but um, I think regardless of the environment, I've always tried to find individuals or um, clubs that I can grow and you know mature in, where I can mm-hmm. be surrounded with people who are at the same intellectual level, who can inspire me and um, encourage me to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in um, college, I actually created um, the Caribbean Student Union at the Caribbean Student Association at Liberty. Okay. And so that was one way that I was able to find you know, people that I could you know, be inspired and be around them. Now here in medical school, one way that I have kind of been able to find the environment to grow is um, through community service. So I I am the I'm the student representative for the American College of Physicians um, with internal medicine at my university. And so one thing that we like to do is community outreach um, events. And most notably, one of the things that we recently did, we went to a Haitian church in the community mm-hmm. and most of the they wanted us to do a clinic there because a lot of the members don't go to the clinic due to various reasons whether they're scared of immigration or they don't think that they'll be treated fairly mm-hmm. so we did a clinic there and we were able to serve like to serve almost a hundred persons mm-hmm. and give them their checkups their blood blood glucose um hyper- screen for hypertension and diabetes and all those stuff and just counsel them with health so that's something that I'm also passionate about and that's something that fuels me and so finding you know those individuals who are willing to come out and service the community in that way is um has been very important to me and also so that's some just that's just some of the ways that I've been able to surround myself with people who can help me to thrive in those environments okay Okay, yeah, that's good. You're the student representative for the American College of Physicians uh, in terms of internal medicine. That's good. That's good, Janema. That's good. So what have been your most effective and impactful ideas to date? What would you say that what idea that you're using now or what strategy that you're using now has got you this far in terms of being a medical medical school candidate at the University of the West Indies? What strategy, what time management strategy, what technique what study approach what's helped you got to get this far i would say that there's two things probably um the first one is to always be adaptable okay and whether that's in my study methods whether that's in um you know in the hospital just learning how to interact with different people you want to be adaptable because there are various different um, personalities that you will encounter at the hospital. There are so many different um, things that you will encounter just anywhere in the world. And so I think being adaptable 
has helped me to get so far. Mm -hmm. um, also discipline, but you know, just being adaptable mm -hmm. as well as um, just continuing to never stop learning. So yeah. obviously I'm in, I'm in medical school. So, you know, there's just a lot of information that I have to learn. But I think in life in general, being able to be willing to continue learning mm -hmm. and to continue unlearning things that are not serving you. So mm -hmm. I'm actually reading this very good book right now called um, Think Again. Mm -hmm. And it basically talks about the ability to unlearn things that are not getting you ahead and be willing to learn new things. So there are some things that we learn as children or that our parents teach us that they learn from their parents. But in this current generation, some of those things just won't cut it, you know? So you have mm -hmm. to be willing to kind of shed those things and learn new things. And in medicine, of course, I'm just always reading and I'm always trying to build on the knowledge that I have mm -hmm. um, because it'll serve me. And it, I, it's honestly so surprising how many times I'll remember something or I'll, or I'll be able to think of a concept mm -hmm. that I can't remember, but I read it maybe five years ago. And yeah. so, yeah, so those are the, those are the two things, basic adaptability and being able to learn new things. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, I, I, I could relate to that too. In terms of, when I was in organic chemistry, one of the things I would do, I had a favorite show on Discovery Channel called Gold Rush. And one of the characters, I used one of the characters to uh, come up with a mnemonic for one of the regio selective rules. So when it comes up, in terms of Hoffman's rule or Zeiss's rules, for example, there was a character named Todd Hoffman. So tert-butoxide T, Hoffman, tert-butoxide facilitates Hoffman's rule or result or the products follow Hoffman's rule when you use it. So outside this, I can relate to that a lot. So Janae, how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments? So uh, do you, how do you keep your priorities in check? How do you stay, stay level during all of this? It's very difficult, David. It's so difficult. Um, I think that I'm honestly always juggling something. Okay. And I recently saw this um, quote, I shared this um, little thing on social media and it basically said, you know, me, I'm trying to juggle things financially, but I'm always also trying to get enough sleep. So I'm trying to keep on top of my work and I'm also trying to spend time with my family. So it's a constant push and pull. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I have perfected it. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that you will never truly find a balance, mm -hmm. but it's just realizing that certain seasons in your life yeah. require a different balance. So right now for me, I am finishing up um, medical school and more of my time is required to just, you know, finish and prepare for the, for the next step. Mm -hmm. um, but also I um, I try to balance it by spending time with my family and I'm blessed that now I'm back in the Bahamas and so I'm able to spend a lot more time with my nieces and see my family a little bit more often mm -hmm. and so where my cup is being poured out at work I'm able to come home and you know get my cup filled up again and so I think yeah, that good. is a balance that has been working for me like I still, I'm not reading as much as I want to read. I still don't get to catch up on my Netflix shows like I want to, but I am satisfied that, you know, you the go. push and pull is working for me right now. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, 
it's it's a, it's a balance, but I have not reached that equilibrium as yet. But it's working for me. That's good. I like what you said. Different seasons of your life require a different set of priorities that you have to work yeah. through. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So, how have you been successful as a student? How did you get into UE? Like UE is a good school in the Caribbean. Um, yes. How did you get into UE? Um, and how have you gotten this far? Like, how were you able to stay in this long for UE to be close to finishing? So how'd you get through? How what if you were to break down your success thus far to date in UE and at Liberty, how what would you say has complemented tremendously? Will it be networking, time management, study skills, your friends, the clubs you are part of? What is complemented to your success? So I will say um probably the number one thing is discipline. Discipline, um, okay. Yeah, so I've always been a very disciplined person. Um, but just continuing to keep that discipline and I don't know it's it's it's, it's a discipline thing I would say um mm -hmm. even to get into UE you know I did well in my um pre-medical courses and a lot of the applications too were looking at you know community service outreach and um letters of recommendation and all that stuff so I was always involved in community service in um at Liberty Mm -hmm. And even back home, like when I would come home, I would do um, re um, community service things. And so I think that kind of helped in getting into um, getting into UE. I had applied to two of the schools, but I wanted to go to Jamaica because, I mean, I think that, you know, the Jamaica campus is the best one. Uh, Jamaica, and Jamaica. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so um, when I got in, I was honestly, I will say, when I had applied, I was very nervous and I didn't think that I was going to get in. Okay. I, it was, I think it was more of an imposter syndrome okay. thing where I didn't think I was going to get in and I was waiting for them to reply to me. And I honestly had like a little mid midlife crisis and thinking you know if i don't get in what am i gonna do with the rest of my life like david honestly i was like i was telling my i i spoke to my parents and i was like i don't know if i should apply to dentistry school like do i really want to be a doctor like and they had to basically say janae you've you've done everything that you can you have applied you, you you've worked hard just leave it up to god yeah and yeah, like there's another, there's a whole other story about like my whole UE application thing. Mm -hmm. But when I got the letter, when I got the letter that said that I got in, mm -hmm. I was ecstatic and I was ecstatic. Now, staying in UE, I don't think that it's as hard as getting in. Um, I know, I, I just don't think it's as hard as people make it seem. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, medical school is tough. Um, but I will say with anything, it's a constant building on what you've learned the prior mm -hmm. year and continuing to build and build and being able to continue reading. Like UE's motto is read for your degree and they mean you will read. So I I think I, I can't all contribute it to myself though. I will say having a good set of friends who are able to um, study with you and go over questions, like that's vital. Um, surrounding yourself with the right people. I think exactly. that's um, incredibly important as well as networking. That, that also is a factor, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to being disciplined mm -hmm. and having a goal in mind. And I've always been a very goal oriented person. And 
looking at the future, like, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do that by any means necessary. So if I need to put in the work, I will put in the work. And I think that that is what's kept me going so far. Mm-hmm. And just realizing how close I am to finishing because time has flown by mm-hmm. and I'm so close. And so it's like, I'm not going to give up now. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm go. almost there. There you yeah. go. I can't give up now. That's good. This is good. Like I'm getting inspired. You have to re-listen to this. Just stay that one snippet. That's good. That is good. So, how have you maintained vision and teamwork in your environment? How how you keep the collaborative spirit going with your friends and stuff like that? What do you do in med school to keep it going? So, um, one of the things that my friends and I do, we try to. It depends on like whatever rotation we're on, but we definitely try to go over questions. You know, when we're coming up to the exam. Right. And we're always trying to um, bounce bounce ideas off of each other because at the end of the day, there might be something that I'm strong in where my other friend isn't strong in. And mm. I can explain that to her and vice versa. I may not understand something and they may understand it and they can explain it to me. And so it's just being collaborative with each other. And I realized that collaboration is better than competition. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us have the same goal in mind. We all just want to, we all just want to graduate. And at the end of the day, you know, having that team mentality, it's not just about I, helps to translate to even um, with your patients, you know? Mm-hmm. It's because when you finish medical school and you're working on the wards, you're working with a team. And mm-hmm. so you have to have the adaptability to work as a team player. And I think, um, you know, having those study groups with my friends and having, you know, being able to text each other and ask, okay, so what do you think about this? And sharing stories about um, sharing like case case reports with other case patients. Case studies, yeah, high level you thinking, know? case studies. Like, yeah. yeah, so that, 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 that helps a lot with everything. So that's yeah. how I've maintained teamwork. And also one of the things I found, some of the most uh, progressive are really advancing clinics. They're multidisciplinary. They're, they have yeah. a, a variety of people, a plethora of specialties working together to solve the cases and different perspectives. When you have a high degree of expertise, though the perspectives may be different, when they are good in their craft, it complements to solving the issue or at least ameliorating the condition. So yeah, that's good. So why did you choose um, uh, MBBS as opposed to dentistry or any other, any other path? What made you choose medicine? Why medicine? From I was six, I think, maybe five or six, I always wanted to be a doctor. I think it might have been partly due to the fact that my um, uncle, Dr. Um, Hayward Cooper, was an obstetric gynecologist. And so I don't know if that kind of contributed to it, but I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor. And going through school, I think it was just something that I gravitated towards. I always loved the sciences. you know, me and you were in physics and chem and all of that. Every together. class together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, even in college, it was just something that I enjoy. But in terms of choosing between dentistry and um, like medicine, I I, t- I don't really like teeth, and I don't think I could spend my days looking in people, you know, mouths. But just having that patient interaction with someone and being able to you know, fix something for them to make some someone better than you left them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone and they're, you know, there's something wrong and you're able to aid in 
solution process. Yeah. I think that that is what I what really drove me towards medicine. Now, MBBS versus MD in the US, it just made financial sense to me um, to, to be home and to have a cheaper tuition. Um, it, it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So I after I finish, you know, I will have to do some additional training and who knows if I'll go to the US. But, you know, MBBS just felt it was a it, it was the best pass. choice for me. Yeah, and you and it's I think it's an established fact. Some of the best doctors in the Bahamas have passed through UE. Yes. The best. One of the former prime ministers, as well as um, one yes. of the leading obstetrician gynecologists on Grand Bahama. They passed through UE. So the, yeah. the fact that the evidence see we the we evidence can, is clear. The evidence is clear. Opinions might yeah. vary, but when you get when you base your decisions and opinions on the facts, the facts are clear that yes. some good doctors come out of UE. So that's a fact. Um, so do you have any advice to those wanting to pursue what you're currently working on? What's your advice to someone who sees this and says, wow, Janae is really doing a good job. How can I do what Janae is doing? What would be your advice to them? I want to go to medical school. I'm in the Bahamas or I'm in the Caribbean um, and I want to go to UE. What's your advice to them? My advice is to not give up. If it's something that you want to do, mm -hmm. continue to pursue it and then pursue it with all your might. And doors will open for you when you are persistent. Mm -hmm. um, continue striving, whatever thing you can do. If you say to yourself, I want to go to medical school, study for those exams, whether that's the MCAT, get your exams in order, whether you need to do a, another degree to kind of get uh, make your application better. Mm -hmm. Surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do. So whether that means you're volunteering with doctors in their clinic, whether you're shadowing them, getting any type of experience that can aid you in your application for medical school, mm -hmm. do that. Never stop learning mm -hmm. and never give up. That's all I would say. Never give up. If, if it's something that you really, really want to do mm -hmm. and, you know, people come up, um, message me all the time and they ask the same question and I'm just telling them, continue pressing on, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, continue yeah. pressing on. There will be doors that will open for you, but don't give up. Yeah, yeah, it's important to have vision in mind to be persistent and to persevere. So what has been some of the most beneficial advice that you have received, Janae, as we conclude? What has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received from your parents, from a teacher, or whatever the case may be? Um, what's some, been some of the most beneficial advice? What replays in your mind when you have hard days or what keeps you going? So recently, I will say, um, my parents give me advice all the time and mm -hmm. they give some of the greatest advice. But one of the best advice that I've received recently and that I've just been implementing recently, and this, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, um, but one of the best advice is that always ask, always shoot your shot, mm -hmm. you know? And for me, um, as, I'm as I am transitioning you know, about to graduate and figuring out what I'm going to do. For residency? Um, yes. It's, it's never be afraid to ask someone, mm -hmm. you know, shoot your shot. If you mm -hmm. want something, go after something and ask, don't be afraid of no, mm -hmm. because people will tell you no a bunch of times, mm -hmm. but all you need is one. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
all you need is one yes. And so for me, that's that's been working. I have just been shooting my shot. I've been asking for help. I've been, you know, seeking out these mentors and not being afraid of hearing the word no. Mm-hmm. Because when you hear the word yes, that one yes can change your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to so many things in life. And it's like, you know, the Bible tells you to ask, mm-hmm. to knock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have, you have to be confident and do yes. that. And, yes. and I have found that a lot of people in this world, they've gotten to where they've gotten, not because they're qualified. Now, I'm not saying that people aren't qualified, but a lot of people have gotten to where they've gotten because they have not been afraid to ask. Yeah, that's true. You know, you have yeah, to be afraid. You have to you have to not be afraid to ask because closed mouths don't, do not get fed. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. And just as we conclude, I'll just say this. this these, these words were credited to Mother Teresa. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, if you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find sincerity, serenity, unhappiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Thank you, Janae, so much for joining me today. It was so good to have you on. As Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. Okay, this is another addendum to the episodes entitled The Journey to Netflix Success. This is another addendum. We're going to be talking about agonists and antagonists and all the different flavors. So agonists are drugs that bind to a cell's receptor in order to mimic the effect of a substance the body naturally produces that binds to the same receptor. Two main classes of receptor ligands in pharmacology we have agonists and antagonists. And the references for this episode will be listed in the episode description. So agonists tend to be smaller molecules that affect the activation of receptors. Note, this may result in stimulation or inhibition of the cell and organ function. Full agonists produce maximum, maximal biological response. Full agonists produce maximal biological response. Has maximal positive intrinsic activity, aka efficacy. Partial agonists, whereas partial agonists produce partial maximal biological response as compared to full agonists. So partial 
agonists produce partial maximal biological response. Partial agonists have lower positive intrinsic activity, and they may competitively inhibit full agonists, preventing maximal biological response. So let's run through that again. Full agonists produce maximal biological response. It has maximal positive intrinsic activity, so efficacy, um, and partial agonists produce partial maximal biological response as compared to full agonists. They have lower positive intrinsic activity, and they may competitively inhibit full agonists, preventing maximal biological response. If the partial agonist is bound to receptor, the full agonist typically uh, cannot bind. Um, why use a partial agonist? Full agonists may cause too much activation, resulting in toxicity or receptor adaptation or prolonged use and desensitization and downregulation. The lower efficacy of partial agonists minimizes the co these complications. Now you also have inverse agonists. These produce opposite biological response to that of the endogenous agonists. Um, has negative intrinsic activity. So let's talk about antagonists. Antagonists tend to be larger molecules producing inhibitory effects. Effect, an inhibitory effect. There are antagonists that act as a receptor, also known as receptor antagonists. So let's let's make sure we keep this thing in focus. So antagonists, by definition, have zero intrinsic activity. Antagonists, by definition, have zero intrinsic activity. Full agonists have intrinsic activity of 100%. Maximum biological response. Partial agonists have intrinsic activity greater than zero, but less than 100. And they can, uh, partial agonists can competitively inhibit a full agonist. Um, you also have inverse agonists, so you have intrinsic activity less than zero. And then you also have Then you also have non-competitive antagonists, and those can be unsurmountable, um, depending on uh, them being irreversible or You will get to that. So let's keep going. Just a quick note. Efficacy is referring to different levels of biological response or intracellular signaling when they occupy the same receptor. Intrinsic activity refers to the maximum positive, maximal possible effect that can be produced by a drug. Intrinsic activity is determined by the drug receptor relationship for a drug that acts on the receptor. Okay, you also have efficacy. The efficacy, you also have affinity, which is the measure of the ability of the drug to bind to its molecular target. So the affinity is the measure of the ability of the drug to bind to its molecular target. The VC50, which is the measure of the potency of the Drug. So let's keep going. Antagonists. They tend to be larger molecules exhibiting inhibitory effects. There are antagonists that act the receptor. These are known as receptor antagonists. Antagonists do not have intrinsic activity. They simply block the agonists from binding. So if we think about these things on a spectrum, we look at we think about efficacy related to the endogenous ligand. You have your full inverse agonists at, at uh, less than zero. 
a partial inverse agonist to the left of zero, you have your antagonist of zero, and you have your partial agonist, which is greater than zero and less than 100. We're talking about intrinsic activity. And then you have your full agonist at 100%. Okay. Intrinsic activity, positive intrinsic activity. So competitive antagonists, reversible or surmountable, bind to a receptor at the same site as the endogenous or pharmacological agonist, blocking agon blocking agonist binding, and therefore receptor activation. So it binds to a receptor at the same site as an endogenous or pharmacological agonist, blocking agonist binding, and therefore receptor activation. Okay. So if you were to look at um, the plot of an agonist versus agonist effect, when you include the competitive antagonist, it shifts to the right. These are ideal scenarios, of course. Okay, antagonism can be reversed by increasing the amount or dose of agonists. Thus, we have the surmountability. This is talking about competitive antagonists. So competitive antagonists do not affect agonist efficacy. They do decrease affinity and potency. So competitive antagonists do not affect agonist efficacy. They do decrease affinity and potency. Competitive antagonists have infinity or potency for the receptor, but not intrinsic activity. By definition, an antagonist does not have intrinsic activity. Receptors can interact with agonists or the competitive antagonists. Okay. And that is exclusive. Okay. Non-competitive receptor antagonists. Non-competitive receptor antagonists. Non-competitive receptor antagonists, unsurmountable. So irreversible binds to the same side as the agonist, not easily displaced, generally irreversible due to the covalent bonds between the antagonist and the receptor, reducing the number of receptors available to the agonist. So just a quick aside, picture a graph of an agonist versus a biological response with your minimum toxic concentration reference and noted and your minimum effective concentration reference and noted. So let's just think about that. Think about that. And you have your MEC um, below and your MTC above. So MTC, minimum toxic concentration, minimum effective concentration. This is just picture this graph with these points noted on it. Okay. So with the full agonist and partial agonist starting at the same XY point, ideally, the partial agonist will plateau between the MTC and MEC. The minimum toxic concentration and minimum effective concentration. Whereas the full agonist will have a higher biological response and plateau higher. Okay, let's keep going. In the absence of spare receptors, the dose response curve will show lower maximum when the agonist is combined with a non competitive antagonist. However, in the presence of spare receptors, there's a grad there's gradually upgraded upon increasing non competitive antagonists a decrease in agonist effect. So however, in the presence of spare receptors that is gradually upgraded upon increasing non-competitive antagonists, a decrease in agonist effect. So allosteric non-competitive antagonists. So allosteric is referring to the other side. Um, and you know, orthosterics is referring to the right binding site. So binding to the allosteric site modifies the conformation of the primary site. 
This negative allosteric antagonist resulting in an altered conformation as less responsive to the agonist. So let's wrap this up. Physiological antagonists, molecules that do not bind the same receptor and as the endogenous ligand, but produce an effect opposite to the agonist effect. Molecules that do not bind the same receptor of the endogenous ligand, but produce an effect opposite to the agonist effect. So this is the physiological antagonist. Now a chemical antagonist, as we conclude, drugs do not interact with agonist receptor, but rather reduce the concentration of the agonist by forming a chemical complex. Um, let's go through that again. Physiological antagonist, molecules that do not bind the same receptor of the endogenous ligand, but produce an effect. Opposite to the agonist effect, chemical antagonist drugs do not interact with agonist receptor, but rather reduce the concentration of an agonist by forming a chemical complex. So hopefully this helped. These are important terms. It's important to know these things. These are like, yeah, um, yeah. In a way, these are very important. Very, very important. So all the best. Take care. This is the conclusion of this addendum. Okay, welcome to the New Chemist Podcast, episode 3C. We go back to the basics and discuss fundamental ideas that support the understanding of pharmacy ideas. And we're using the format of a telephone conversation. This is definitely an episode worth listening to. So it's important to note that the purpose of these episodes are not at all medical advice, medical suggestions, or medical counsel. These are aimed to provide support for pharmacists and training in educational and intellectually stimulating ways. Again, please note that these are not at all medical advice, medical suggestions, or medical counsel. Please see your local state and board certified physician, physician assistant, or nurse practitioner, and pharmacist for medical advice and suggestions. Once again, these are not at all for medical advice, suggestions, or counsel. Please see your local state and board certified physician, physician assistant, or nurse practitioner, and pharmacist for medical advice, suggestions, and counsel. The views also, the views in this podcast represent those of my guests and I. So, pharmacy school is a blast. However, you must be very dedicated and maintain a good integration of your self-care regimen as well as your personal affairs as well as your academic responsibilities so let's run through a few quick facts and then we conclude this episode for today so pharmacokinetics it's what the body does to the drug we're talking about absorption distribution metabolism and excretion over time was the goal of pharmacokinetics we want to control the amount of drug exposure so let's talk about respiratory alkalosis. It involves a rise in blood pH due to hyperventilation, so that's excessive breathing, and a resulting decrease in carbon dioxide. Let's talk about acidosis. What is it? Blood pH lower than 7.35. So let's also talk about extravascular drug absorption. 
um, that involves uh, oral, stomach, absorbing the intestine, metabolizing the liver, some amount of drug reaches the systemic circulation, and the rest of the drug is excreted. Let's talk about intravascular drug absorption. Um, actually, we'll come back to that. Let's talk about the first pass effect. The initial metabolism in the liver of a drug absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract before the drug reaches systemic circulation through the bloodstream. Let's say that again. First pass effect. The initial metabolism in the liver of a drug absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract before the drug reaches systemic circulation through the bloodstream. Let's also talk about enterohepatic cycling. Drugs are transported through the bile back to the intestine that they can be reabsorbed in the intestines, increasing the duration of action. One more time. Enterohepatic recycling. Drugs are transported through the bile back to the intestine where they can be reabsorbed in the intestines, increasing the duration of action. So immediately when we administer uh, intravenously, we have 100% bioavailability, uh, intravascular administration, involves IV, as well as intraarterial, um, local activity, it will involve things like dermal pulmonary, topical, ocular, intraocular. Systemic activity will involve things like oral sublingual, buccal, intramuscular, subcutaneous, selective beta blockers. That's, so we're just running through a litany of facts that are useful. It's, a, it's primarily under the umbrella of pharmacy basics. We're just running through some ideas quickly. Um, just to give people a quick refresher for those who have been training for this time. Selective beta blockers, metoprolol, atenol, all, lisoprolol, nibivolol, acetabutol, all, metoxolol, esmolol. How is the drug absorbed? Active transport with transport proteins or passive diffusion. So we already mentioned our intravascular administration involves intravenous and intraarterial. See what else can we talk about? Um, so let's talk about the solution. It's a process of drugs dissolving in the GI tract. The solution rate, we look at the noise written equation. The smaller the particle size, the greater the absorption. Increasing the surface area increases the drug absorption. Let's make a quick note of that. The solution rate, we look at the noise written equation. The smaller the particle size, the greater the absorption. Increasing the surface area increases the drug absorption. Almost rhymes. Now, how to limit drug degradation? You have your enteric coating, biodegradable polymers, so acidic environment in the stomach won't destroy the drug, increasing the amount of drug absorption. Bioavailability. Bioavailability. Amount of drug available systemically to produce an effect. So, how much of the drug is available in the drug in the drug to produce a therapeutic effect? So how much is available to produce the therapeutic effect? So formula percent of drug absorbed. The amount appears in systemic circulation or the amount administered. High bioavailability is above 70%. Low bioavailability is below 10%. Let's go back to that again. Formula percent of drug absorbed. Amount appears in systemic circulation over the amount administered. So amount appears in systemic circulation over the amount administered. High bioavailability is above 70%, whereas low bioavailability is below 10%. So 
So let's see. Let's give an example. So if we have twenty, so we if we administer hundred milligrams of a drug orally, and twenty milligrams depends on systemic circulation. Twenty over hundred is the same thing as zero point two. Multiply by hundred when we're talking about percent, it gives us twenty percent. Okay. And from the framework that we just discussed, that will give you an idea as to what type of what extent or what amount of bioavailability is occurring with that problem. So drugs with 100% oral bioavailability, levofloxacin, linezolid. So those two, those are examples of two. So formula for bioavailability, area under the plasma, concentration time curve, representing total drug exposure. That's a mouthful. Let's go over that again. Formula for bioavailability, area under the plasma concentration, time curve, representing total drug exposure. Okay, there are formulas for that. We can discuss that later. So, what are the physical chemical properties that affect drug distribution? Lipophilicity. Lipids can easily. Lipids can easily. Lipids can easily cross the membrane. All the things that affect this drug distribution: molecular weight, ionization status. The charged particles cannot pass. Not non-charged particles can pass, and protein binding. So lipophilicity, molecular weight, ionization status, and protein binding. So LIMP, L-I-M-P, lipophilicity, ionization status, molecular weight, protein binding. Those are the lens which you look at, or basically the Parameters that you kind of look at when you're trying to determine uh, or understand what's affecting drug distribution. Um, also, let's go back to the formula for bioavailability. Um, 100%, 100 times AUC subscript EX over AUC subscript IV times dose subscript IV over dose EX. So it's important to note that EX is referring to extravascular, IV is referring to intravenous, AUC is referring to area under the curve. Um, 100 is being used because we're talking about percent, and F is absolute bioavailability. Let's run that back one more time. F is absolute bioavailability. We multiply by 100 because we're talking about percent. AUC is area under the curve. IV is referring to intravenous, intravenous. EX is referring to extravascular, so F is a hundred times AUC EX over AUC IV, and that whole thing is multiplied by dose IV over dose EX. So high protein binding drug has high affinity for albumin, so the amount of free drug will be low. The albumin acts as a reservoir for the drug, and it releases the free drug in small amounts to the tissue to exert its effect. This increases the duration of action. High protein binding drug has a high affinity for albumin, so the amount of free drug will be low. The albumin acts as a reservoir for the drug and it releases the free drug in small amounts to the tissue to exert its effect. This increases the duration of action. Twenty-eight albumin. So protein in the blood that's made in the liver. So let's see. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. When a correction form, oh, site-specific drug delivery. 
Antibodies bind particular receptors on specific tissues or organs. Site specific drug delivery involves antibodies binding to particular receptors on specific tissues or organs. So, when are correction formulas needed? Highly bound protein drugs with patients whose serum albumin is low. Examples of highly protein bound drugs phenytoin, morphine. Examples of those. Um, let's look and see. What else can we talk about? Calcium corrected formula. So calcium in brackets reported serum plus in brackets 4.0 subtracting the almond amount and that difference is multiplied by 0.8. Phenytoin corrected formula. Total phenytoin measured over in brackets 0.2 times the albumin amount plus 0.1. So the product of 0.2 times the album amount in the bracket added to 0.1 the whole thing is the denominator under the numerator which is total phenytoin measured. So volume of distribution this is the amount of drug in body over plasma drug concentration. Okay so small volume of distribution uh, involves it being confined to plasma extracellular space. Um, example of tobromycin 0.2 liters per kilogram, large volume distribution, wide distribution to all body tissues. So the plasma drug concentration is low. Intercycline is an example of that 79 liters per kilogram. So, guys, what kind of volume distribution would you want to, a drug to have if you were treating a systemic infection? You can think about that, process that in your healthcare profession class or science class. Okay. Um, let's see what else we talk about. So metabolism involves the process by which a drug is converted from its original chemical structure to other chemical forms. The original chemical form is the current drug, other chemical forms, metabolites, occurs primarily in gut and liver. You want the drug to be lipophilic so it can cross the phospholipid bilayer and exert its effects on the tissues. The body undergoes multiple biological reactions to make these intermediates hydrophilic so that they can be excreted by the body. Okay, so lidocaine undergoes extensive first-pass metabolism in the liver so it's only administered, or typically administered in the intravenous form. Okay. Excretion, irreversible removal of the drug from the body, organs for excretion, you have the kidneys, and that results kidneys function to produce urine. The gut, GI tract basically functions to produce feces, lungs function to produce exhaled air, the skin function to produce sweat, the liver functions to produce bile. So clearance is defined as the volume of plasma cleared of a drug over a period of time. Clearance is defined as the volume of drug of plasma cleared of a drug over a period of time. Okay, two formulas for clearance involve the rate of elimination over concentration. Also, F times dose over area under the curve. 
Okay, so Half-Life, the time in which 50% of the drug is eliminated, T1 half. So first all elimination, constant percentage of drug, constant percentage of drug is removed per unit time. The drug concentration is eliminated, and that's directly proportional to the concentration of the drug. Let's see what else we can talk about. Let's see. So, zero on elimination. Constant amount of drug is eliminated per unit time. So, Michaelis mentioned kinetic systems like if you've done biochemistry and you're now in a pharmacy program, this is an idea that you see over and over and over again. So, Let's think. Michaelis Mendel Kinetics. You have your mixed audience and saturable or non-layer kinetics. Um, increasing the dose leads to a disproportionate, disproportionate increase in concentration. Um, first section of the curve of the curve. Lots of available enzymes. Second section, composition of enzymes, more drugs and binding sites available on enzyme. Third section, all the astrocytes on the enzymes occupied. So the drug is not being metabolized due to toxicity. So let's keep going. KM, concentration at half max of um, Vmax. Um, Michaelis Benson drugs, phenytoin, theophylline, voriconazole. Okay, let's keep going. It's important to note that Let's just talk about a quick case. Quick case scenario. Patient has been using phenytoin 100 milligrams three times daily. So TID, the phenytoin level was drawn and found to be 8.8 micrograms per milliliter, reference range 10 to 20 micrograms per milliliter. The prescriber doubled the dose to 20 milligrams three times daily, so TID. The patient started to slur words, felt fatigued, and returned to the clinic. The level was repeated and found to be 23.7 micrograms per milliliter. The two following is accurate regarding the most likely reason for the change in the level. So, um, what we understand is phenytoin metabolism can become saturated at higher doses. Phenytoin metabolism can become saturated at higher doses. Saturation point. Let's keep going now. Saturation point. Adding more substrate will make no difference in the reaction rate. Good rule of thumb for the toin, if there's 7 micrograms per milliliter in the serum, adjust doses in small increments no more than 30 to 50 milligrams at a time. So Ke is the elimination rate constant. Um, let's see. The loading dose. Use of a higher dose is that than what is usually used for treatment to allow the drug to reach concentration and the therapeutic effect. As we progress, one of these episodes, we'll spend some time talking about therapeutic effects and therapeutic indices, therapeutic windows. Okay, so let's keep going. We're going to talk about some pharmacology basics now. Pharmacology is a body of knowledge concerned with the actions of chemicals on biological systems. What is medical pharmacology? It involves the use of chemicals in prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of disease. What is toxicology? 
is concerned with the undesirable effects of chemicals on biological systems. What is pharmacokinetics? It involves what the body does to the drug. You have your ADME, your absorption, your distribution, your metabolism, your excretion. What is pharmacodynamics? How I think about this is when I look at the word, D comes with four of the letters, M, A, and N. So it's what the drug does to the body or drug does to the mind. That's how I see it. That's how I process this. So pharmacodynamics, what the drug does to the body. What is onset of action? Is how much of drug of the drug comes into circulation to produce the effect determined by the rule of administration of drug dosage. When you increase the drug dosage, the concentration of drug in the body will also increase. So what is onset of action? Is how much of the drug comes into circulation to produce effect. The effect determined by the rule of administration and drug dosage. When you increase drug dosage, the concentration of drug in the body will also increase. So what is duration of action affected by, or what can be affected by the drug dosage, or higher the dosage? Um, it also can be affected by the rate of distribution, the rate of metabolism, and the rate of excretion. So let me see, minimum effective concentration, it's the amount of drug required to produce a therapeutic effect. So what is the duration of action? It's a time between the rise to the decline at minimum effective concentration of the therapeutic effect. What is the MOA, the mechanism of drug action? Drugs cannot produce immune action in the body, can act on enzymes, and channels upregulate or downregulate the system within the body. So, there is some more things, there are some more things we want to talk about. Ligands, so there's signaling molecules, RA. Except existing in the active state, RI, except existing in the inactive state. Depending on where you read, some people refer to, like in biochemistry, is referred to, um, they use different methods to describe those things in undergrad biochemistry. But for now, in this phase, we'll talk about RA being a receptor existing in an active state, RI receptor existing in an inactive state. So the external receptor site. Ligands bind outside plasma membrane and produces changes or change inside the cell. These are elegantly displayed with receptor proteins on the phospholipid bind layer. So internal receptor site. Drugs go inside the cell, bind the receptor inside the cell, moves the nucleus to produce desired effect. So mechanisms of agonist mediated activation. You have your iron channels, the GPCRs, wonderful class of, wonderful group, class of receptors, just excellent, wonderful family, if you will. Um, receptor tyrosine kinases, intracellular hormone receptors. So those are the things you want, you want to like focus in on. Iron channel, ligand, gated voltage, gated second messenger regulated. Um, ligand gate ion channel, drug binds the ion channel, activating it to open, so it enters triggering, triggering an action potential. Voltage gated ion channel, change in charge or potential between the inside of the cell and the outside of the cell, causing the channels to open to maintain internal homeostasis. 
inside the cell the charge is between negative 70 millivolts and negative 90 millivolts to open the gate to maintain internal homeostasis. Okay, let's go. Second messenger regulated. Various second messengers are regulated channels by opening and closing them. Some include calcium and cyclic AMP. Cyclic AMP can cause the activation of enzymes which trigger signaling transduction pathways. So your GPCRs, your guanine protein coupled receptors, a signal receptor protein in the polymer membrane that responds to the binding of a signal molecule by activating a G protein, also called a G protein linked receptor. Your RTKs, receptor tyrosine kinases. Insulin binds to tyrosine kinase receptor. Tyrosine, tyrosine kinase receptor undergoes autophosphorylation. Insulin receptor is activated downstream cascade of signals. Final signal is to recruit glucose transporters, GLUT. Well, move from cytosol to plasma membrane that takes these into tissues for utilization or storage. So let's talk about some amino acids for a bit. Just for a quick bit, we know um, some amino acids with hydroxyl groups are your serine, tyrosine, and threonine. So serine, if you go from the peptide backbone and walk down the R group, you have so serine has the methylene spacer. And hydroxyl tyrosine as your methylene space of your benzyl ring, and then your hydroxyl and threonine as a methine spacer, then a methyl group that comes off from that, and then a hydroxyl group. Okay, so kinase, kinase is anything that causes phosphorylation. If you want to look up the spacers in terms of methylene TH2 methine CH, is what you're referring to. We say those spacers. That's kind of organic chemistry talk or speak, if you will, for those who are organic chemistry majors or who study some organic chemistry. So let's talk about kinases, enzymes that cause phosphorylation. So intracellular hormone receptor, most of steroids enter the cell easily because they are lipids, bind to receptors inside the cellular cytoplasm, get activated, move to the nucleus, cause DNA transcription, which leads to the formation of particular proteins. So affinity. The measure of tightness in which a drug binds to a receptor. What is intrinsic activity? So the ability of a drug to activate a receptor upon binding. Anonymous. There's a drug that limits the action of the endogenous ligand. Primary agonist. Drug binds to the same recognition site as the endogenous agonist. So I've heard of allosteric. But this, is, this was a new one for me. Orthosteric. Orthosteric site. The primary or the right binding site. 
um, allosteric agonists binds to a different region of the receptor. So allosteric is referring to another. That's what that word means, literally. Antagonists, drugs that block or reduce the activity of an agonist. So antagonist blocks the agonist. Antagonists. And these have affinity but no intrinsic activity. And remember, intrinsic activity is the ability of a drug to activate a receptor upon binding. This entopic interaction, competition with agonists for the same overlapping, same or overlapping sites, entopic interaction, competition with agonists for the same or overlapping site. You got your physical antagonist. Physically interacts and nullifies the action of the drug. Example, charcoal, which is a good absorbent. It binds alkaloid to form a complex and will be excreted. The chemical antagonist the drug co- forms compounds relative by calcium and magnesium. For example, tetracycline binds with calcium in milk and then will be eliminated. You have your physiological antagonist. The drug encounters the effects of another by binding to a different receptor and causing opposing effects. Drugs that produce an opposite action by binding to a different receptor. Example, adrenaline is a physiological antagonist to histamine because adrenaline causes bronchodilation and histamine causes bronchoconstriction. Pharmacological antagonist. The drug binds the receptor and produces no effect and shows no intrinsic activity. And remember, intrinsic activity is basically the ability of a drug to activate a receptor upon binding. Partial agonist. A drug that binds to a receptor and causes a response as less than that caused by a full agonist. You have your inverse agonist. In the stomach histamine receptors are constitutively activated. They're activated without stimulus. So under normal conditions, they're operating at 20%. Inverse agonist inhibits these receptors, bringing them down to 0%. Competitive agonists, same binding site as agonists, resembles chemically with agonists. You have a right shift on the dose response curve. Response depends on concentration. So your dose and response, your dose can be considered like your X value. Your response can be considered like your Y value, if you will. So you plot. So non competitive agonists, different binding site of agonists, not resemble chemically, a downward chip shift of dose response curve, increasing agonist concentration won't make a difference. So one more time, non-competitive agonists, you have a different binding site of agonists, not resembled chemically, you have a downward shift of the dose response curve, increasing agonist concentration won't make a difference in this case, or in that case. So how do we activate receptor sites? You open or close eye channels, speed up or slow down transporters, increase or decrease enzyme activity. So efficacy, what is efficacy? Is the maximum effect a drug can produce that can be measured with a graded dose response curve? Potency. Is the amount of drug needed to produce a given effect determined by affinity of the receptor for the drug? So EC50, the dose that's required for an individual to experience 50% of the maximum effect. D50, the dose required to produce a therapeutic effect in 50% of the population, median effective dose. So your therapeutic index, it's a ratio. It compares 
the concentration at which a drug becomes toxic and the concentration at which the drug is effective. Yeah, I'll do 50 over 80, 50. 10 to 1, say if a drug because it has a wider therapeutic index. 3 to 1, you want dangerous drugs, needs more attention because the therapeutic index is narrow. LD50, median lethal dose. So tolerance. Um, what is tolerance? Reduced response to drug after prolonged use, develops gradually over a long period of time. For example, alcoholics need more alcohol in the second day to feel the same effect in the first. If it is accustomed to alcohol, so their intents are ready. So let's talk about pharmacokinetic tolerance. It involves the enhanced enzymatic breakdown. It reduces the amount of drug reaching inside of action. Example barbiturates, carbamazepine, reduce their own metabolism, so our metabolism or destruction on frequent repeated use. So pharmacodynamic tolerance. So you had your pharmacokinetic tolerance. Now let's talk about pharmacodynamic tolerance. It is the tolerance caused by altered nervous system sensitivity. Change in receptors. It involves the action of drug is being reduced because of down-regulation of receptors, meaning that receptor expression or the amount of receptor present will be less, the receptor is not active as before, or it involves the sensitization of receptors, meaning the receptors will not function as well. So proteins could go through PTMs or post-transitional modifications, meaning that they lose, for example, a sulfide due to the drug use, due to drug use, losing their function, some changes are reversible, others are not. And the uh, internalization, and that internalization of receptors or receptors will not be available, and exhaustion of mediators, depletion of catecholamine, or epinephrine as well. So natural inherent tolerance involves the genetic makeup, makes an individual resistant or will have more response to a drug. Acquired tolerance occurs in repeat use of drug. Tolerance develops to sedative sedative action of chlorpromazine but not its antipsychotic action. Tolerance occurs to sedative action of phenobarbital but not to its anti-epileptic action. So cross tolerance. Development of tolerance of pharmacologically related drugs. For example, partial tolerance, tolerance between morphine and barbiturates. And then you also have complete cross tolerance between morphine and tetrodine. Same drug class. So what is tachyphylaxis? What is tachyphylaxis? It's a type of tolerance that occurs rapidly within minutes or seconds when it takes a small concentration of drugs to cause this. So worse than drugs that have a low or narrow therapeutic index, you have your acetaminophen, theophylline, carbamazepine, digoxin, warfarin, lithium, phenytoin, gentamicin, ancomycin, Antidepressants, bicyclic insulin. Let's talk some more. And what are your drugs with the narrow therapeutic index? Acetaminophen, theophylline, carbamazepine, digoxin, warfarin, lithium, phenytoin, gentamicin, vancomycin, antidepressants, bicyclic. So, drugs with a higher wide therapeutic index are your NSAIDs, non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs, 
the benzodiazepines, most antibiotics, furosemide, and the SSRIs. Nitroglycerin can cause tolerance. As a pharmacist, you must tell the patient you need to have a 10 to 12 nitrate-free period to prevent tolerance. Nitroglycerin causes vasodilation. Let's keep going. Synergism. One drug is going to have an additive effect with another drug increasing efficacy. Action of one drug is facilitated or increased by another drug, or when one drug is not active alone but active when combined with another. Additive, the effect of two drugs in the same direction. Example, amylodipine. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. So we also have, um, so example, do you have the additive effect of two drugs in the same direction? Example, amlodipine, amlodipine and atenol, all antihypertensive. Amlodipine is a calcium channel blocker, and atenol is a beta blocker. Both work to reduce hypertension and act on different places in the heart. You have clibenclamide, libenclamide, and metformin, hypoglycemic, hypoglycemic clibenclamide is a sulfonylureal that increases insulin sensitivity and causes secretion of insulin oxide pancreas. Metformin acts in liver to control blood glucose levels. So super additive, otherwise known as potentiation. The effect of the combination is greater than the individual effects of each component. Acetylcholine and phisostamine. Um, acetylcholine acts on muscle produce effect. Phisostamine is inactive. Both are degraded by acetylcholine esterase. When acetylcholine is alone, the enzyme will break it down quickly. You have phisostamine if the enzyme doesn't know which one to attack. Composition between the two, so it increases the duration of acetylcholine. Evidopa and carbidopa. Evidopa treats Parkinson's disease by converting to dopamine to prevent movement disorder. When taken orally, levodopa is converted to dopamine 
in the intestine, causing adverse effects like vomiting. Give it bicarbidopa, which prevents the breakdown of the intestines, so it can be transported to the brain, across the blood-brain barrier, where it can convert the dopamine to act on the basal ganglia, sulfamethoxazole slash trimethoprim. Limits two enzymes, inflammation of tetrahydrofolic acid, which is required for bacterial cell wall synthesis. If you want to kill the bacteria, you need sulfamethoxazole to prevent the conversion of PABA to an intermediate product. And then you need trimethoprim to prevent the conversion of the intermediate product to tetrahydrofolic acid. So alapril and hydrochlorothiazide, alapril, angiotensin covering enzyme angiotensin covering inhibitor, hydrochlorothiazide, diuretic, acts in two different places to produce the antihypertensive effect. So let's wrap this up. Drug action and enzymology. So your ES is referring to your enzyme substrate complex. The enzyme, a type of protein that speeds up a chemical reaction in a living thing. Enzymes are glavular proteins, very specific. Substrate reactant, EP, enzyme product complex, irreversible, irreversible inhibition of enzymes caused by covalent bonds, enzymes cannot be regenerated. The only way the product can be catalyzed is when new enzyme molecules are produced in the body. Reversible inhibition of enzymes. Enzymes can be freed from the complex to give the active enzyme. Ka, association constant of ligand with receptor site. Kd, association constant for the receptor. EC50, drug concentration given a response halfway between the baseline and maximum. IC50, concentration which produces 50% of the maximum possible inhibitory response, which is equal to the quantile response. Quantile response equals IC50. So affinity, the ability of a compound to bind tightly to the target. Intrinsic activity, the drug's ability to produce an effect once bound to the receptor. Potency, the amount of drug needed to produce an effect. The more potent the drug, the steeper the slope on the DRC, on the dose-response curve. Efficacy. So efficacy, the potential maximum therapeutic response a drug can have, example, for most 
eliminates more salt and water than chlorothiazide, sulfurosamide has a higher efficacy. Of its efficacy, the potential maximum therapy response a drug can produce. Allosteric sites, or allosteric brings another, it's a site the drugs bind to that exerts the activity that's not the actual receptor site of the endogenous ligand. So isosteric, which is a nice word, replacement of modifications of functional groups with other groups having similar properties. So replacement of modifications of functional groups with other groups having similar properties. It tunes, make sure you remember that word, tunes the drug metabolism, receptor fit distribution of the properties. So bioisosterism, swapping of functional groups present in the chemical compound while maintaining the desired biological activity. Corrects undesired properties. So let's wrap this up. Um, so this involves starting with comparing compound and using isosteres, which can be slightly, which involves slightly changing the structure to make more desirable structures. These are analogs. So isosteres of hydrogen, fluorine, isosteres of fluorine, hydroxyl. Amine, so NH2 or CH3, in brackets H, um, isosteres of carbon, carbon, isosteres of hydroxyl, amine, isosteres of sulfur hydrogen, hydroxyl, isosteres of fluorine, 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 and trifluoromethyl. So this is the end of the episode. Pharmaceutical Chemistry Cholinergic Agents Cholinergic agents are the most well-studied chemical neurotransmitter system. Cholinergic agonists include the cholinomimetic and parasympathomimetic agents. These agents act directly on the cholinergic receptors and exhibit agonist activity, or they exhibit indirect effects as inhibitors of acetylcholinesterase ACI. Now, with cholinergic antagonists, these include cholinolytics and parasympatholytic agents. These bind to the cholinergic receptors and block the receptor activity. Cholinergic agents are used for a variety of disease states, including Alzheimer's disease. Cholinergic receptors are divided into muscarinic receptors or nicotinic receptors, depending upon their binding preference either to muscarine or nicotine. These can be further divided into receptor subtypes. Muscarinic acetylcholine receptors, noted as mockers, include the superfamily of G-protein coupled receptors. Whereas nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, noted as knockers, are cationic transmembrane ligand-gated ion channels that allow that passage of sodium and potassium ions. It is important to note that muscarine has three chiral centers, only the twos, three R, fives, configuration provides potent receptor binding. Muscarine can exist as eight stereoisomers according to the L.E. Bell-Van-T-Hoff rule. Furthermore there are receptor subtypes and locations associated with these receptor subtypes. Muscarinic acetylcholine receptor subtypes include, M1 to M5, found in the central nervous system, and other tissues including the salivary glands, stomach, heart, smooth muscle, and others. It is important to note that organs may contain multiple receptor subtypes. The M1 receptor is sometimes referred to as neural receptor because of its abundance in cerebral cortex, hippocampus, and other areas. 
The M1 receptor is implicated in Alzheimer's disease, with M1 agonist functioning to improve memory and learning. The M2 receptors are predominantly found in the heart and M3 receptors and are most abundant in the smooth muscles, remember, overactive bladder treatment. The M4 and M5 receptors are predominantly present in the central nervous system and periphery. The nicotinic acetylcholine receptors are present in the central peripheral nervous system and neuromuscular junction. Moving right along, acetylcholine is biosynthesized in the cholinergic neurons by acetyl group transfer form acetyl-CoA. Acetylcholine is actively transported into cytosolic storage vesicles in the presynaptic nerve endings and maintained with ADP, calcium cations, and magnesium cations until released. Moreover, during the conduction of the signal through the neuron, the action potential opens voltage-dependent calcium cation channels, resulting in the release of acetylcholine. Upon release, acetylcholine binds to the postsynaptic membrane. Unbound acetylcholine is hydrolyzed by acetylcholinesterase ache. Furthermore, acetylcholine at this time is not orally bioavailable and has a very short half-life, minutes, and non-selective binding to receptor types or subtypes, which can support a case for it not being a good drug candidate. The early model of acetylcholine binding highlighted the interaction between the quaternary ammonium ion and a carboxylate in the receptor and H bonding with a lone pair of electrons in the ester oxygen with the receptor. Yet, the early model does not account or provide sufficient explanations for why two of the three alkyl groups need to be methyls for optimal activity. Further, the effect of the chiral center or chiral centers on binding potency. Moreover, there is a 5-atom distance between the terminal hydrogen in acetate and the quaternary ammonium salt, which is related to Ng's rule of 5. Keep this in mind, in the current model of receptor binding, the quaternary nitrogen has an ionic interaction with an aspartate residue, D105, in the receptor, while the ester oxygens including both the sp2 and sp3 hybridized oxygens, are involved in hydrogen bonding interactions with threonine specifically, T189, and tyrosine, Y381, residues in the receptor. Let's talk about Newman projections and acetylcholine. The protein crystallographic studies indicate that the preferred conformation for acetylcholine to bind the muscarinic receptor is synclinal or also referred to as gauche. Keep it going, let's talk about acetylcholine structure and activity relationships. Having an understanding of the SAR or structure activity relationships of acetylcholine, functions to improve biological activity, pharmacokinetics and the toxicological profile, and selectivity, and other aspects. Variations can occur with the acetoxy moiety, acetate ester, ethylene, 2-carbon bridge, and the quaternary ammonium salt. It is known that replacing the acetate ester with longer chain carbons results in the loss of binding potency. Moreover, conversion of the acetate ester into an amide, led to the discovery of two active drugs, carbacol and bethanethyl. Continuing on with acetylcholine structure activity relationships, SAR, both carbacol and bethanethyl are carbamates. There is chirality. Both carbacol and bethanethyl are muscarinic acetylcholine receptor agonists and display improved muscarinic versus nicotinic receptor selectivity as compared to acetylcholine. First, carbacol or carbomoylcholine is primarily used for various ophthalmic purposes, such as treatment of glaucoma as it can reduce the ocular pressure, 
or during ophthalmic surgery due to its ability to constrict the pupils. It is usually dispensed as eye drops. Second, betanechol is used to alleviate dry mouth. Moreover, betanechol can also be used to treat urinary retention resulting from anesthetics, diabetic neuropathy of the bladder or a side effect from antidepressants. Third, with the acetylcholine structure activity relationship, let's talk about the ethylene bridge modifications. The lengthening of the 2-carbon, ethylene, bridge between the acetoxy group and the quaternary ammonium salt can result in partial or complete loss of biological activity, Ing's rule of 5. Also, the placement of a methyl group on the beta-carbon atom, which is adjacent to the bridge oxygen and connected to the methyl, that carbon displays muscarinic potency similar to acetylcholine and with much greater muscarinic, nicotinic selectivity. Further, a methyl group of the alpha carbon leads to selective binding to nicotinic receptors although the potency is less than acetylcholine. Additionally, note that the placement of a methyl group at either the alpha or beta position generates one stereocenter which can have two stereoisomers given the L.E. Bell-Van-Tehoff rule. Moreover, the replacement of hydrogens on the ethylene bridge with alkyl groups larger than methyl significantly reduce biological activity. Additionally, let's talk about the quaternary nitrogen and other modifications. First, the replacement of nitrogen with sulfur, phosphorus, or arsenic yields less active compounds with no clinical utility. It is important to note that only compounds with positively charged atom are effective this is based in the ionic interaction. Added to this, replacement of all three methyl groups with ethyl groups produce an acetylcholine antagonist. Also, the replacement of only one of the methyl group with bulkier alkyl groups, for example, ethyl group, greatly reduces agonist potency. Furthermore, the replacement of methyl groups by 1 to 3 hydrogens decreases muscarinic agonist activity. Also, within the context of methacholine chloride, provocholine, these facts are true. One introduction of methyl group at the B position creates zero chiral center, S, which has very little nicotinic activity. 2, S, isomer is 240 times more potent than the R isomer. 3. The placement of the methyl group provides hydrolytic resistance, with two-fold stability compared to acetylcholine. 4. Also it is highly polar, not orally active, cannot cross blood-brain barrier. 5. Used for diagnosing asthma, and in chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. 6. This molecule is contraindicated in patients with heart attack, stroke, and uncontrolled hypertension. DP The flux is dependent on K the oil to wire partition coefficient of the drug as well as on by by <laughs> in brackets C1 minus C2 rum part tum tum ionization of a weak electrolyte you know I always Wanted to be an acolyte, a therapist, a catechist, or a trumpeter, you see. But today we're talking about my good friend, the trumpeter, but let's shot.
Philia and the ionization. So ionization is affected by pH of the medium in which the drug is dissolved as well as by the pKa. Remember, non-ionize are like the chemical thugs, more liquid soluble, the diffusive thug, if you will. They are more liposoluble than the ionized and partitions more readily. Hopefully by now you realize. Rubber tum tum, let's have a drum roll. Hey little beggar boy, oh. That's for the periodic table. Let's talk about the transport process that's not a stable. The actin transport. The actin transport of the drug with it moving across a concentration gradient requiring energy selective potentially saturation possibility and compelling it can be yet we must look across the hall and see that facilitated diffusion is on the carrier-mediated transport system walls. Facilitated diffusion occurs across a concentration gradient and does not require energy. Obrigada, evil say. Como você está? Tudo bem? Tudo bem? Tudo? Tudo? Wow, fala um pequeno portuguese. So let's talk in English, por favor. Civil plea. With that parasolar transport. Drug transport across tight, narrow junctions between cells or trans endothelial channels. No. I'm not talking about fire stick, but let me give you a conceptual trick. Power cellular transport involves both diffusion, unconvective, or bulk fill of water, and the accompanying water soluble drops to the channels to the channels that can be a hint now let's look at the versicles newly minted 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 idea in this lyrical scheme vesicular transport is the process of engulfing particles or dissolved materials by a cell engulfed engulfed 
man in golf. Pio were drinking, Sabo were eating. Pio say to sis, engulfment of small solute or fluid volumes. Bubble say to sis, is engulfment of larger particles. Yeah, my molecules, generally by my confages. Endocytosis and exocytosis are the movement of macrome molecules into and out of the cell. Biopharmaceutics and job delivery this tennis. So we've reached the end of this lyrical scheme. You see? We'll pick up, up conceptually in episode 2. Okay, so big phenomenal to be pursuing further studies as a pharmacist in the U.S. These episodes again will be under the theme The Journey to Narbeck Success. Please will cover in summative form key points that sell to me as I embark on my journey as a pharmacy student on charter course to Narbeck Success. Note the purpose of these episodes, not at all for advice or medical suggestions, but to provide support for their pharmacists in training in educational and intellectually stimulating ways. Not at all for medical advice or medical suggestions, please see a local state and board certified physician, PA or NP, and pharmacist for medical advice and suggestions. The newcomer becomes a pharmacist in training, originating NAPNEP success. The North American Pharmacist Licensure Examination, NAPNEPS, is a standard examination created by the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, NABP, to help individual state boards of pharmacy assess an individual's competency and knowledge so they may be given a license to practice. So, this is an important exam. So, be a variation you want to keep in mind as we conclude. UNSP 34, United States Pharmacopoeia 34, and NF Natural Formulary 29. So, this is the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Bienvenidos al podcast del Nuevo Químico. Carlos Irzate, esto podcast tu New Chemist. Welcome by the podcast von the New Chemist. Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste.
Bem-vindo ao podcast do Novo Químico. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard. Be value-driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Travaillez dur. Soyez axé sur la valeur. Tu peux le faire. Vous pouvez grandir et l'apprendre. Vous pouvez être la différence dont vous et votre communauté avez besoin. N'abandonnez pas. Nous sommes ici pour vous encourager et vous encourager. N'abandonnez pas. Trabalhar duro. Seja orientado por valores. Você consegue. Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista. Δουλέψε σκληρά. Να οδηγείτε στην αξία. Μπορείς να το κάνεις. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατάς. Είμαστε εδώ για να σας ζητοκραυγάσουμε. Μην τα παρατάς. Trabaja duro. Sea impulsado por el valor. Puedes hacerlo. Puedes crecer y aprenderlo. Usted puede ser la diferencia que usted y su comunidad necesitan. No te rindas estamos aquí animándote y animándote. No te rindas. Werk hard. Wees waardig gedreven. Je kunt het. Je kunt groeien en leren. U kunt het verschil zijn dat u en uw gemeenschap nodig hebben. Geef niet op. We zijn hier om voor je te roten en te juichen. Geef niet op. Work hard. Be value driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is the new chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.